What is up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com, which is always popping during the offseason. With that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and uh, it's going to be a crazy episode today. We got a lot going on, and uh, if you can't already tell, this is an episode that's probably my longest ever. Don't be discouraged. This is a two for one, just like the title says. This is not only my recap on this week, but it will also be my, I mean, it's going to be early, earlier than uh, usual, for sure. Usually this comes out on Thursday, but I'm also putting in my Thursday, usually, podcast of you know my starts my sits all that good stuff we're gonna do both of those things today and if it seems daunting don't worry there will be a clean break where you will be able to tell when I am transitioning over if you want to take a break if you're driving and you don't want to you know be in the middle of a conversation that's fine don't worry about it because there will be clear times for you guys to be able to do that and why am I doing this you ask well there's a couple reasons um, the biggest reason being I am having my wisdom teeth pulled and that is going to be happening Wednesday morning. So obviously I won't be able to record the podcast for Thursday on Wednesday per usual. I have to record it earlier because even if I'm fully recovered, which by the way, I have no idea how that works. I've never had my wisdom teeth taken out, but from what I've heard, uh, you could be out of it for more than a day or two. So which, you know, speaking to that point, if you guys have questions, you probably want to get them to me as soon as possible before Wednesday, because Wednesday morning I'm going under, and I'll be all drugged up. So I don't know how long that's going to affect me. Maybe Thursday, hopefully not too much Thursday, so I can really enjoy all the Thanksgiving games. And yes, I know I'm not going to be able to eat anything on Thanksgiving, but you know what? It was the only time I could, could squeeze the wisdom teeth into my schedule, so I had to get it done. You know, we got to do it. We got to do. It's part of the grind. So. Yeah, my Thanksgiving is not going to be uh, filled with a bunch of food. I'm going to be barely eating, and it's going to be painful to talk, so that's why I'm not going to be able to record a podcast like for Friday or whatnot, but that's why we got the two-for-one. But don't worry, guys. I am getting you the content, and uh, this is a super grind for me, as it will be for you, because we got lots to come. So uh, buckle up. But yeah, this is, uh, you know, before I get into it, just the last wrap-up of uh, some quick points. I'm recording this right after the Bucks game. You can imagine how difficult this is for me. And not only am I recording this after the Bucks game, obviously it's super late because of that, but my voice, I don't know if you could tell, is kind of shot because I was screaming at the TV during the whole Bucks game. A lot of decisions and you know, I might as well just take that segue right into the first game recap for the Bucks Rams. So, here's the thing. I don't understand what the Buccaneers coaching staff on the offense is doing. Why is Ronald Jones seeding touches to Leonard Fournette. Throughout the season, you guys can even look this up on Twitter. Throughout the season, Leonard Fournette's vision has been terrible. His receiving skills are no better. They might be worse, in fact, than Ronald Jones. He had three drops in this game. Three drops. I don't think Ronald Jones had any. And you might look at pass protection. Grading-wise, Ronald Jones is not a worse pass protector than Leonard Fournette. He might actually edge out Leonard Fournette on a small margin. And it was like that before this season started as well. Ronald Jones did not fumble in this game. 
I mean, there was no reason, in my opinion, why Ronald Jones got pulled. He was playing just every bit as good as Leonard Fournette, except better, because Leonard Fournette was dropping balls, and his vision's just not as good. So I don't understand what happened there, and I wasn't expecting a good game for Ronald Jones. I sat Ronald Jones where I had him, assuming I had a decent enough running back to start over him because of the matchup, not because I thought this was going to happen. So that's super frustrating. With the Bucks receivers, Evans, Godwin, Antonio Brown, most of the time, the Bucks are going to be throwing the ball a lot, which I don't necessarily agree with. There were a lot of times where I was thinking the Bucks should be running the ball with Ronald Jones, and in, instead they're just throwing it. But for fantasy, that's great for those receivers. I think all three of them are going to be wide receiver twos. They're going to be fine. They'll have up and down games. It is what it is. Mike Evans did deliver in this game, despite having Jalen Ramsey. His touchdown did come when Jalen Ramsey was not on him. So, I mean, then Jalen Ramsey was pretty pissed, and he was like, Yo, Sean, talking to Sean McVay. Yo, Sean, let me get on Mike. And uh, he did the rest of the game. Mike got him a couple times. Ramsey got Mike a couple times. It's a great matchup. One of the best in the game, I think, just because of how their bodies of work match up with each other, how their speed and size matches up against each other between Mike Evans and Jalen Ramsey. It was awesome. And then on the Rams side of the ball, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, they dominated. The tight ends were mediocre. And the running backs were frustrating, as usual. Cam Akers got the touchdown. Cam Akers got the touchdown off of a reception. And um, he didn't, you know, do great in the run game. But none of the running backs really did. Malcolm Brown only had three carries. Darrell Henderson mixed in a little bit. Akers mixed in a little bit. There's not enough carries to go around between three guys in that Rams offense. So those running backs I'm completely off of. Hopefully, Cam Akers is the guy moving forward in Dynasty. But that's what I got in that game. Really not too much. Um, Brady did have an interception on the drive to try and win the game, which was super frustrating. Um, you know, he just made a bad read. That's all it was. And is Brady as good as he was in New England? You know, in prime New England where they were making it to the Super Bowl and whatnot? No, he is not. But he is still a great quarterback. And I am just hoping that things start to click as they go on. So with that said, we're going to go ahead and move into uh, the next games. But remember, this is a two for one. This is going to be a long one. And uh, I'll have a nice break in between, so just uh, just keep this uh, keep this going because uh, we're about to learn a lot of content. I put a lot into this uh, podcast with some stats, some digging into a few things. You can also see a whole bunch of stuff I posted on Twitter. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. There's some good stuff. J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor had some breakouts. We'll talk about all that stuff. But first, as always, we should be talking about waiver pickups. But believe it or not. I don't see any crazy waiver ads with low ownership outside of one big injury, Joe Burrow, unfortunately, which we will definitely be getting to. It was a relatively healthy week, so there's not really anybody that popped up because somebody's injured. I'm sure Giovanni Bernard's already owned in your leagues. If you're in like a super deep dynasty, maybe throw a shot at Samaj P. Ryan. He's been getting touches behind Gio, um, but I mean, really, there's not any waiver pickups that are notable this week. Everyone's pretty much owned over 35-40% ownership, so not much to talk about there. Now let's talk about the Saints and the Falcons game. Michael Thomas dropped an open pass. Open, wide open, nobody near him. Michael Thomas, or Michael Thomas, I almost said drop miss. Michael Thomas dropped an open pass from Taysom Hill. And the first thing that came to my mind was, he's not used to bullets. He's not used to bullets. Drew Brees' arm has never thrown a ball at Michael Thomas with the heat behind it that Taysom threw. And it caught him off guard, and it looks like it did. I mean, you see the surprise on his face. But honestly, Taysom Hill is just fine for Michael Thomas. He had a good day. The Saints had a good day. Now, 
he is kind of a, a quarterback that's benefiting from Sean Payton being a mastermind and being able to create a good offensive scheme that allows the Saints to beat their opponents. I don't think it's sustainable, but Taysom Hill, he thought, gives them a better chance to win these next few games than Jameis Winston, and I'm not surprised that was the thing that he decided upon because I know Jameis Winston as a Bucks fan. Now, if he's talking about looking at a quarterback for the future, no, there's no way he thinks Taysom Hill is actually the quarterback for the future. They're not going to run like a, a mini Lamar Jackson Ravens offense, right? But for a few games, Taysom is the guy because nobody's seen him. Nobody's got tape on him. He can do a lot of things, make defenses question every single play because he can run, he can catch, he can throw. So I understand the, the call, and it's not bad for Michael Thomas. I'm not worried as a Thomas owner. But Kamara, you might be a little... A little bit worried because he only had zero only had zero receptions this was the first time in his career ever not having a reception in a game that's including when he was the third running back behind adrian peterson and mark ingram he was still getting receptions in every game as a rookie behind those guys first time ever and uh you know you know what that means when it was the first time ever It hasn't happened. So I had to play that for you guys. And now let's talk about Taysom in himself as a fantasy player. Is he a quarterback I want to start? No. If he stays tight end eligible in ESPN, which is completely ridiculous, by the way, um, yeah, obviously you're going to play him at tight end. But he's not a quarterback I'm looking to start. It's a low-volume pass offense. It's a gimmicky stuff. I think the Broncos have a chance to uh, stifle their offense, actually. Vic Vangio and that defense might be able to hold him down. Interesting game to watch. And honestly, I was excited to watch that game as a Bucks fan, thinking that the Bucks were going to come out this Rams game with a win and possibly still be able to take the division. That hope is over, dead, long gone. Super disappointing. But, I mean, outside of that, there's not much on the Saints. I mean, it's Michael Thomas, Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara. Just like usual, there's not many guys there, but the guys that are there are dominant. Kamara will be better than he was versus the Falcons, though. I'm sure they're going to see zero receptions. Yeah, that's a problem. Taysom, you got to start throwing it to Kamara a little bit more. Now, let's talk about the Falcons side of the ball. Matt Ryan, he does not pass the eye test. It's been like this all year for me. Over the past like three or four seasons, he takes sacks on third down and loses field goal position like six, eight times every season. It's honestly ridiculous. If I was a Falcons fan, I'd be losing my mind. Matt Ryan, you are a veteran quarterback. A veteran quarterback does not take a sack on a third down when they're in field goal range. They throw the ball out of bounds. When are you going to learn, my dude? But nevertheless, he has not. And that's just super frustrating. Not really important for fantasy, but I wanted to talk about it because it's something that I wanted to talk about. He does it often. The defense of the Saints was getting home all day. All day. They have been on a tear the last three, four games. And they're a good fan. they've been a good fantasy defense. They have eight sacks in this game versus the Atlanta Falcons. Julio Jones, he re-aggravated his hammy, and Russell Gage had 12 targets. Now, you will see if you just like pull up highlights or something that Julio Jones was in at the end of the game, so maybe you think he played the whole game. He did not. He was held out for most of the game, and the Falcons, like idiots, brought him in at the end of the game, risking him being injured when you guys have clearly no shot this year and winning that divisional game versus the Saints means absolutely nothing for you. Um, so that was a very questionable coaching decision. And there's a huge questioning, uh, questionable coaching decision that we will spend like seven minutes on. You can skip past it if you want when we get to it. 
because it's not fantasy related, but it's football related. I think my take there is very interesting. I think you might be interested to hear what I have to say. So that'll be uh, something we'll talk about too. And it's obviously about Tua Tagovailoa. But finishing this game, Hayden Hurst, bro, MIA, MIA missing in action. You were in action and you were gone, bro. Two targets, nothing to show for it. That that hurt. That really hurt. Now let's move to the Titans-Ravens game. Physically, the Titans are built different. Jonu Smith, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, they are all so hard to tackle. They are punishers, athletic freaks. A.J. Brown needs to have half of a defense just to tackle him. Watch his touchdown catch. If you have not seen it, it rivals CD's touchdown catch. Although, if we're talking in terms of the catch itself, obviously, obviously CD Lamb's catch was much better. But in terms of the entire play, AJ Browns was pretty nice too. Then on the other side of the ball, Mark Ingram, two touches. Gus Edwards, three touches. J.K. Dobbins, 17 touches. Is it takeover time? I need more time to find out, and unfortunately, we're not going to find out on Thursday versus Steelers. Why? Well, because J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram just got put on the COVID list. So, Gus Edwards is going to be the guy, and I'm sorry, I'm not sure if they're completely on the COVID list, like the one that takes three weeks, like the COVID IR, but they're on the one that's holding them out for this week. I'm sure it's just one week, but it's Gus Edwards week versus the Steelers. It's going to be him and Justice Hill. All my guys out there that have been holding Justice Hill and Dynasty You'll finally be able to see if he's good, if he's worth anything, depending on if they even decide to use him with Gus Edwards. But lastly, in this game, neither Ra- neither Ravens running back was hurt. So you might look at the touches and think, ah, maybe one of these guys was hurt, banged up. I don't know if JK really just took all the touches because they finally committed to him. No, that is exactly what happened. Marquise Brown, three targets, zero receptions, dropped another ball. Come on, man. I mean, I I don't really care, actually, because I stayed away from him. You guys know I did not draft him anywhere. I was staying away from all these Ravens, except for Lamar. But, I mean, I don't like drafting quarterback high either, so you guys know that too. But, I mean, yeah, it's not a good offense that you want to be touching in fantasy. With the Titans, Henry looked like he was going to have a bad day, but he's a second-half guy. Don't get worried about Derrick Henry after one half. He wears the defense down, gets really good as the game goes on, as happened in this game versus a tough matchup in the Ravens. Now let's move to the Cardinals Seahawks. Kyler Murray got hurt in the first half. This was the Thursday game, if you don't remember. And he messed up his shoulder, but he played through it. He had 20 points still. Worst output of the season. He was clearly bothered, and he missed a lot of easy throws. But honestly, that's the silver lining to me. He had 20 points, and that was the worst output of the season. This man has been amazing. So, I mean, this is just a great sign showing that... One, his toughness, which is an awesome trait for a quarterback to have. I'm sure he'll be fine. There's no worries there. And it just continues to show Kyler Murray is somebody that belongs in the NFL. Then we have the running backs, Drake and Edmonds. They were splitting receiving work, which is interesting. Drake has started to get a little more receiving work, and it gives hope to the future for Kenyon Drake. Christian Kirk was just all right. Larry Fitzgerald was the one who ended up stepping up as the number two in this game with 10 targets. I thought that would be Kirk's role, but it's hard to project sometimes. And uh, Fitz was the one who stepped up. Lockett had a good day. Nine targets, nine receptions, 67 yards, and a touchdown. And the Seahawks did exactly what I thought they would. You guys remember when I was saying that because of Russ's turnovers, they might try to get back to their run-first identity and keep the ball you know, out of Russ's hands too much. 
not ask him to do everything, not ask him to be Superman, try and control the clock a little bit, give their defense some rest, go back to that identity that helped them be good for so long. Because letting Russ cook, like it was working great in the beginning of the season, but as it's gone on and they've been in deficits and Russ feels like everything, the weight of the world is on him, he's been turning the ball over. So they turned back the clock and did exactly what I projected them to do. They ran the ball 52% of the time and only passed the ball 28 times. If this becomes their identity once again, DK Metcalf is not your wide receiver one on the season. He might not be a top five wide receiver on the season going forward. He would still finish top five, but going forward, he might not be. Now, this is not an anti-DK Metcalf, anti-Tyler Lockett. This is just me telling you to lower your expectations and consider the possibility that if the Seahawks go back to a lower pass volume offense to keep Russ efficient, making smarter decisions, not taking crazy chances that lead to turnovers, when you have a defense that can't stop anybody, that those receivers might not be as good as they have been so far. That's all I'm saying. Now let's move to the Lions-Panthers game. Nobody at all did anything for Detroit. They, I mean, there's not much to take away from it because of that. They were held scoreless. Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore both eclipsed 20 PPR points. So when you first look at it, DJ Moore had a great day. Wow. But then Curtis Samuel also had a great day, keeping pace with DJ Moore over like the last six weeks, which is crazy. The three Carolina wide receivers all got 9 to 11 targets. DJ Moore was the favorite for PJ Walker. PJ Walker does have an arm and he was looking to DJ Moore. So if he is playing for some reason, I'm pretty sure Teddy will be back this week. But if for some reason PJ Walker is back in, then uh, the, you know, the trend is looking upward for DJ Moore a little bit. And it's hard to project anything off this game if Teddy is back, because obviously different quarterback is a completely different situation. Now let's move to the Bengals Washington football team game super super disappointing i mean joe burrow i am sorry brother i am sorry the Bengals have not had time to build an offensive line for you yet but to all my dynasty people out there i am very excited for the Bengals moving forward dynasty wise i'll get to the game in a second but joe burrow is probably somebody behind and the worst offensive line in the league right now and not only is it the worst offensive line in the league but it's not even filled with starters I mean they've had injuries across that offensive line all year he has weapons in Tyler Boyd and T Higgins and Auden Tate next year all three of those guys are there locked in and he also has Joe Mixon next year because he just signed a fresh contract he still has Jonah Williams and they're gonna have probably I mean I think it's pretty safe to lock this in they're going to have the number three overall pick because the Jets are going to have number one. They still haven't won a game. The Jaguars are probably not going to pass the Bengals in record. So the Jags are probably going to have pick two. And the Bengals aren't going to win any more games with Ryan Finley. So they got the three right now, and it's going to stay that way. So they're probably going to get the elite offensive tackle, Panay Sewell from Oregon. And that's going to beef up the O-line immensely. Then they also have free agency to attack the offensive line. I'm telling you right now, you can lock it in. That offensive line is getting at least, at least two new starters next year. Panay Sewell was, is probably going to be one of them, and they're probably going to have a free agent come in to start as well. Then they'll have Jonah Williams. All of a sudden, you're not talking about offensive line 32 in the league. You're talking about offensive line 20, maybe. Maybe better, maybe a little worse. You know, room to grow. 
and uh, I'm excited for what that offense can build. What Zach Taylor had done this year, despite the offensive line, was very promising. In my opinion, Joe Burrow has looked great. The receivers there are great, as you guys know how much I love those receivers. And yeah, so if you can buy low on any of the Bengals, including Joe Mixon, because the offensive line getting better doesn't just help, just doesn't just help Burrow, but it also helps Joe Mixon. So if you can buy any of those guys, I think it's a good time to do so. T. Higgins is a fringe top 12 wide receiver. Tyler Boyd is a locked in top 18 wide receiver. Moving forward for Dynasty, Joe Mixon is a top 10 running back locked in. I would go as far to say once I do my projections next year, if they do add those offensive line pieces and Burrow is back for week one, then <clears throat> excuse me, then Joe uh, Mixon is probably a top eight running back for me. So, you know, I love it. And excuse the, the coughing and stuff. Like I said, guys, my voice is completely gone after screaming at that Bucks game, uh, you know, because that was rough. That was rough. Uh, tough, tough loss, especially because it was like down to the wire and you know, Brady on the last game-saving drive, you know, you think it's going to happen because that's what Brady has done in his career, but it didn't happen. So it was tough. But uh, yeah, and I got my coffee next to me. We're going to keep pushing through. And talking about this game, actual fantasy takeaways. All right, let's get to it. Finley had 10 passes in this game. Two went to Boyd, four went to Higgins. Higgins caught zero of his four targets. Boyd caught one of his two. Here's the thing with Finley. He is not very good at passing the ball down the field. Anything more than 20, 25 yards, he's very inaccurate. This is where T. Higgins thrives. But he apparently loves T. Higgins because he did throw the ball four times. I expect the chemistry to be a little bit better when he is throwing to T. Higgins in the future. So I'm not too worried about T. Higgins, but he does definitely take a step down from having Joe Burrow. Now let's talk about Boyd. Boyd's target share has always been safe. He's the slot receiver there, the, the only slot receiver there. That's a safe role, and he is number two in the NFL in slot snaps among all wide receivers. So Tyler Boyd is safe. He also runs the shorter routes, is over the middle of the field, and he's going to be the safe target for Finley. He's going to be pretty uh, consistent as well. So I don't expect you know a huge drop-off from Tyler Boyd for Tyler Boyd if a drop-off occurs at all because, I mean, he hasn't been amazing with touchdowns, and yeah, the offensive offense is going to get worse and have less touchdown opportunities but despite the fact that Burrow is playing great he hasn't thrown that many touchdowns this season so it's not going to be a huge step down there so I like Tyler Boyd just as much as I did before pretty much and Giovanni Bernard Samaj P. Ryan they're kind of splitting a little bit Gio is no longer just the absolute workhorse RB1 when Mixon is out as he was he's had some rough games and I expect it to be similar to that. He will bounce up a little bit. He'll be a solid flex all season. Because, I mean, at this point, with Joe Burrow done with that Joe done, you might as well make the other, the other Joe done as well. You might as well just keep mixing out for the season, let both of these guys heal up, and come back strong for next season. Hopefully Joe Burrow's able to. He did tear his ACL, his MCL, and apparently has other knee issues. So this is probably, you know, something that's going to last maybe a little more longer than we would like you know it's not just nine months like for recovery it's probably going to be 10 maybe 11 it might go like four six weeks into the season hopefully not but you don't want to rush burrow back he's the future of your franchise so they're going to be smart with him i'm sure so once he is on on the field we can be confident that he is 100 percent. now let's move to the washington side of the ball antonio gibson got 18 touches 104 yards and a touchdown let's go let's go baby Antonio Gibson, you guys know I am Team Gibson. If you look at my Twitter head, header, it's 
Team Boyd and Team Gibson. Boyd Brothers. By the way, guys, I also got my merch in. I don't know if you saw it. You probably did, but on Twitter and Instagram, I got my merch in. I got some hats on the way. Hit me up, DM me if you want to buy one. I got you. Rep the Deep Dive Squad. Also got a shirt for myself. It was pretty, pretty pricey, and I don't want to be handing out super expensive prices to you guys, so I'm trying to find the most cost-efficient uh, way to get my uh, shirts. But once I find that, once I get that in, then I will also put those on the market, and uh, we can rep Deep Dive out to the world because... It's a, we're, we're, we're growing, baby. We're growing. I'm excited. Uh, you know, and I've gotten better every single season with all my projections. And I mean, if I just keep improving, if I keep putting in the work, just like you guys put in work in anything in life, if you put in the work, it's going to come. You know, I, I, I posted a, a picture in, of my, uh, Yahoo arc, I guess you could say like my fantasy arc. And it shows you how good I have gotten, like in all my leagues increasing over the last three years as I've done more and more research and this year I'm basically as good as you can get um because like the max score is 920 I think in Yahoo and I'm at like 911 this season because I mean I've just you know had a great season and my projections have been pretty well so that's cool but that's all I got for this game Terry McLaurin was fine as usual he's not ever somebody you have to worry about Logan Thomas is playable because of how bad the tight ends are Jaden McKissick was all right I mean not too much to take away from watching inside of the ball now let's move to the Steelers Jaguars game first off this was not the big pick in survivor leagues as I expected only 11 percent why come on Brandon dummy you missed something obvious the Chargers were playing the Jets see since we took the Chargers I completely didn't even notice that obviously that was going to be the heavy pick and the Chargers were picked over 50 percent and then the Vikings were around 35%. Benny Snell, for absolutely no reason in this game, got poached by James Conner. Sorry to my Conner owners. You guys know me and Nate both have said that Deontay Johnson is the number one wide receiver in Pittsburgh when healthy. He got 16 targets, caught 12, had 111 yards. He is clearly the dude there when he is healthy. That's the only part that's been a problem this season has been projecting whether he's going to be healthy or not. DJ Chark led the team in targets, but... Honestly, I'm not sure without LaVisca Chanel and Gardner Minshew that there are any startable wide receivers here. Keelan Cole and Chris Conley combined for nine targets. That's not optimal. James Robinson had a tough day, but produced fine with a floor of 11 points. Considering the matchup, that was a pretty decent output. 11 points, no touchdown. That was pretty good. So, you know, I'm not too, too concerned if I have James Robinson. If you guys have him, and you're looking at his playoff schedule, look, he's not going to be as good as he has been throughout the season. That's obvious. But he still gives you a pretty safe floor because of how many touches he gets. And if he pops for a touchdown, then he'll be a good play. So don't worry too, too much about James Robinson. But I definitely still would side with trading him away was the right idea if you were able to do so. Now let's talk about the Patriots-Texans game. Super random game for the Patriots. Demir Bird led the wide receivers. James White led the team in targets. Jacoby Myers only had three targets, and Nikhil Harry had eight targets after having zero last week. Duke Johnson has not been producing at all for the Texans. I expected a tough game, but 6.5 points is not acceptable. Pretty standard game from the Texans wide receivers, but Deshaun Watson, he impressed me. 
he was very efficient and put up 30 fantasy points versus this Pats defense, which, yes, there's a bunch of people opted out from COVID, and they haven't been great this season. But Belichick is obviously not trying to tank. He beat the Jets, and he's been, you know, trying to win games. And I thought that this was going to be a tougher matchup for Watson, but it wasn't. He, he played really well. So that's, that's good to see. And uh, he's been kind of slept on, not in terms of fantasy, just in terms of, like, people realizing how good he is because of how bad the Texans have been. Now let's talk about the Eagles-Browns. If you have Carson Wentz, it is time to roster Jalen Hurts, if you haven't already. In Superflex, Jalen Hurts is worth a bench spot if you have Wentz. If you do not, it's definitely more risky to roster Hurts, depending on how big your bench is. So only do it if you need a quarterback. He's probably not somebody that you need to spend up for. If he's on the waiver wire right now, he's probably, and he hasn't been picked up already, he's probably not going to be somebody people are dropping a lot of money on. I'm putting a $0 bin in on Jalen Hurts, where I need a quarterback in my Superflex League. I'm probably going to get him. Nobody's really paying attention there. So, you know, if you have Wentz, definitely take Hurts because everyone's talking about it. And Peterson's siding with Wentz, but, I mean, if every single person, and apparently there's some uh, problems in the locker room with players having problems with Wentz not being pulled. So if that stuff keeps up, I mean, Hurts definitely has a real possibility of getting in as a starter this year. So, you need to roster him if you have Wentz and you have a, a rough quarterback situation. And unfortunately for me, I had Joe Burrow, Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins in like 90% of my leagues because I was all over the Bengals. And it was great up until this point. So that's rough. And I also had Joe Burrow in a super flex. And I also had Carson Wentz. And now I'm like, oh boy. Like I was looking great for the playoffs. And now I'm scrambling for quarterback. So I'm definitely getting Jalen Hurts there. Now, the other thing that I had on this game was the Browns running backs. So the weather here was a bit more geared towards the run game. The Browns dominated despite the 17-22 score because Dallas Goddard had a garbage time touchdown from Carson Wentz. Kareem Hunt was taking red zone touches and goal line touches away from Chubb. I'm not saying that's something that's going to continue, but it's always something there with Chubb. If, you know, it's a really tough run matchup, don't expect like amazing numbers from Chubb, but him and Hunt are weekly starts no matter the matchup you have to start them both and you know that's pretty much you, you ride it out with them because especially looking at the running back landscape and how many injuries are all around the league Christian McCaffrey might not even be back this uh this week they're saying week to week for the shoulder but it looks like he's already doubtful for this week so you know it's just goes to show you Gaskin's still not back yet I don't think um there's just there's no way you can sit those guys so if you have them don't even overanalyze anything just play them now no DPJ, DPJ targets. Donovan Peoples-Jones, they didn't throw it to him at all. Come on, man. Come on, man. He is so good. He is so good, and you guys will see. You guys will remember me. When Donovan Peoples-Jones one day breaks out somewhere, you will remember Brandon Gabor telling you, this man is a player. He is. I love Donovan Peoples-Jones, and he needs to get some targets. But, I mean, they're winning games, so honestly... They have no reason to throw it to him if what they've been doing has been working. But if for some reason they find themselves, you know, needing to throw the ball a lot and they're realizing, hey, Landry and Higgins aren't cutting it, maybe they'll get TPJ involved and uh, I'll be a happy guy. Now let's talk about the Packers versus the Colts. MVS fumbled in overtime, giving away that W. But the Packers scored three points the entire second half. So 
While we might want to say, MVS, bro, this game is on you, nah. The game is on the coach and Aaron Rodgers. You guys cannot only score three points in an entire second half. That team is extremely beatable. And the people that say the Green Bay Packers are the best NFL team, well, ha ha ha, I'm laughing. Because they're definitely not. And they showed their weaknesses versus the Bucks versus the Vikings. Which, by the way, I know the Bucks have their weaknesses as well. Every NFC team has a huge weakness. The only team that's remotely close to not having a big weakness is the Chiefs. But their defense is nowhere near what it was down the stretch last year. So every team has shown their weakness. And the Raiders have shown that they can play the Chiefs very well. So, I mean, it's going to be a very, very entertaining playoffs. Especially with two extra teams than normal. So that's something I'm super excited for. Just to see how the playoffs, playoffs work out. And with that said... Other than the MVS fumble, Lazard in four games, guys. This is important. This is one of those things I dove into, so I want you to pay attention to this. Alan Lazard in four games has averaged, that's all he's played this season, 13.5 points per game. Initially, you look at that, that's pretty decent. He was the wide receiver 13 or wide receiver 14 in his first three games in the season before he got injured. Everyone's like, Alan Lazard is a wide receiver too. He was a steal in drafts, yada, 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 yada. Guys, we need to take a big step back. All right, here's some notes. In those three games, he had two touchdowns. Touchdowns are not reliable. Also, one of those touchdowns came in a game where Devontae Adams was gone. Also, 100 plus yards came in the game where Devontae Adams was gone. Eight receptions came in the game when Devontae Adams was gone. You remove the one game that Devontae Adams missed, Alan Lazard this season has averaged with Adams on the field, 9.5 points per game, not good, 12.5% target share, and even if you keep the game that Adams was gone, his target share was only 15.6%, and for those that don't pay attention or or did not uh, follow me in the offseason, target shares that you want for a receiver, 18 plus minimum, minimum, and for 18 plus, it's guys like Deshaun Jackson to be fantasy relevant, guys like Marquise Brown. But for Alan Zard, he's not that type of receiver. He's not taking things to the house all the time. He's not some super dynamic after-the-catch type of guy. Alan Lazard needs like 22% target share, and he's at 12.5% target share with Devontae Adams on the field. He is nowhere near a wide receiver two in fantasy football. So I know a lot of people are hyping him up that way, but guys, take a step back, all right? Jonathan Taylor, just like J.K. Dobbins, dominated the touches, 26. Four of them were receptions. Naheem Hines, 10 touches. Jordan Wilkins, 5 touches. So maybe uh, maybe JT is going to break out. It's a little late to help everyone that spent high picks on him. But if they're still alive because you know they grabbed Gibson late or grabbed James Robinson or Ronald Jones or whatever the case may be, if they still have Jonathan Taylor, they have a chance in the playoffs. He's looking like he might be somebody that's going to help you a lot. So that's awesome to see him and J.K. Dobbins break out this week. And then Michael Pittman had a good day, but he only had three targets, possibly because he was covered by Jair Alexander. So don't be too discouraged by it, but it's just something to monitor. Now let's move to the Vikings-Cowboys game. Guys, it's over. It is over. Our run and getting to the top 2.5% after getting to the top 5% last year, is over. The Vikings lost. 
versus the Cowboys. Should have just went with the Steelers. Should have just took the chalk pick. And it wasn't even a high percentage pick, which was part of the reason for the pivot. Super, super disappointing. And Justin Jefferson, everyone that loves him, his crucial drop on that game-winning drive versus the Vikings that would have converted on third down knocked us out of the survivor pool because I firmly believe if he makes that catch, they continue the drive and win the game. Adam Thielen was great. He had a sick one-handed catch for a touchdown and got held. Dalvin Cook was good as usual. Kirk Cousins made smart decisions. He didn't deserve to lose. Looking at you, Justin, Ezekiel Elliott had 100 yards or actually more than 100 yards, but it was his first 100-yard rushing game of the season, which, I mean, that's pretty crazy. And the Vikings' defense is not that good. But the Cowboys' offensive line did move people around during the bye, and they also moved people around in this game. And what I mean by that is they moved the Vikings' defenders around in this game. They had a bye week. They shuffled positions for offensive linemen, trying to figure out the best combination, and clearly they did a decent job because they were opening very big running lanes for Ezekiel Elliott. So it's a positive sign for Zeke. We'll see if this continues. But once again, this Viking defense isn't that good. But it's, I mean, that Cowboys O-line looked a lot better than they had in the past throughout this season. So that's a positive sign for, honestly, everyone, but especially for Zeke. CeeDee Lamb had an amazing, amazing body-contorting touchdown catch, even better than Thielen's one-hander. Honestly, we don't even understand where most people don't even understand how difficult of a catch C.D. Lamb made. He's looking over his shoulder. The ball is clearly thrown nowhere near him. And looking over his shoulder backwards, he is able to contort his body like three yards to the right as he's getting lower and lower to the ground, brings his shoulder pads to the floor so that the ball is able to you know, come to his trajectory. That's really hard to explain. Just watch it. And uh, turns his hips, flips his chest forward, catches the ball. It's just so nice amazing catch I honestly my jaw almost hit the table when I was watching that live and um yeah the ball was spread evenly among the Cowboys big four receivers big four you say Brandon big four what are you talking about CeeDee Lamb Amari Cooper Michael Gallup and uh Dalton Schultz of course he's been good pretty much whenever Dalton's been in he was good when Dak was in and Shout out to my Blake Jarwin shares and my Blake Jarwin love in the offseason. Clearly, he would have been a full send, a full hit this offseason and this season, but then he got hurt, so that's disappointing. But hey, if uh, if you're trying to look for a tight end, Jarwin is another one. I've told you guys about Herndon and how I think Herndon's going to be a really good buy low right now um, in Dynasty and even when the season is over before they draft a quarterback and get a new coordinator and a new offensive play caller and all that stuff because Herndon is somebody who's going to be used very differently, I believe, and he will be a receiving tight end next year and how he's a good buy. But also Blake Jarwin. Blake Jarwin is a good buy. People are kind of forgetting about him. Maybe people are worried that Dalton Schultz will impact him because Schultz has been all right in the future. I don't think that's the case. Blake Jarwin is much better than Dalton Schultz, so I like him as a buy for a late third or whatever the case may be, whatever you need to get him for because honestly, you're not going to have to overpay for Jarwin unless the person that has Jarwin is listening to this podcast probably because, I mean, he's kind of forgotten, forgotten man right now. So he might have even been dropped. Check if he's been dropped because if you guys have short IR 
uh, IR bench space, like only four spots, and that person's had a lot of injuries, they might have to drop Jarwin. So just keep your eye out for that. Now, with that said, that game is in the books. We knocked out a survivor pool. That sucks, but hey, we're coming back strong for next year. I went from five top 5% last year to top 2.5% this year. Maybe we can win it all next year because, I mean, hey, we improved by 2.5% this year. If we improve by 2.5%, that's that's winning. That's winning. So hopefully we can get all the way next year. But honestly, Survivor Pool is just so fun. It gives you something to root for, just be able, to be able to root for a team to win. So I love it. And now let's move to the Jets-Chargers game. Denzel Mims, eight targets. And Perriman had another deep touchdown. That's cool. But Denzel Mims is the guy I really want to focus on. Eight targets. Guys, he's going to be really good, especially in Dynasty. When they get a new offensive coordinator, you've heard this all before. You know what I'm going to say. Mims is also a nice a nice buy right now. Don't start Jets, though, for redraft if you can avoid it. Denzel Mims is uh, probably the only one worth maybe starting in redraft, but I'm still avoiding the Jets if I can. Now let's talk about Justin Herbert on the other side of the ball. Guys, he is a rookie, and this is his 16-game pace. And this is including every game he's played. So including the game where he was just thrown out five minutes before the game started versus the Chiefs. 4,800 passing yards, 39 passing touchdowns, 332 rush yards, five rushing touchdowns. So that's 44 total touchdowns and over 5,000 total yards, 25.7 points per game. And I believe this was something I didn't fact check, but I'm pretty sure that would be the highest scoring rookie quarterback season in fantasy of all time it would cam newton's 2012 might be really close or i don't know if it was 2012 when he when cam newton was a rookie but cam newton's rookie season which was still his best season of his entire career to date um was probably really close to that because of all the rushing but yeah herbert's been completely out of his mind and keenan allen is the main beneficiary of it 19 targets like i said Top five wide receiver, baby. 34.5 points. Since the day that I told you guys to go by Keenan Allen, and he was a top five wide receiver moving forward, this was before he started dominating, and I did so in multiple leagues, he has not put up less than 20 points. So, yeah, Keenan Allen, that was a smash by low. And now let's talk about Kalen Blotch. Seven receptions. Seven receptions. Interesting to see. Because he's not really a receiving running back. And I think because of that, it's safe to say he is the clear backup to Eckler. Not the fact that I don't think he's a receiving running back. The fact that despite that, he got seven receptions. And he's getting the bulk of the carries. It'll be interesting to see who backs up Eckler when Jax is healthy. But until then, Balazs is the clear backup for Eckler. Joshua Kelly is definitely droppable in pretty much any format. Um, if you're holding, holding on hope in Dynasty... You can have fun on that boat, but uh, or on that ship, but I think it, that ship has sailed. You know, it's going to nowhere. Bermuda Triangle is gonna disappear because Kalen Balaj, or I mean, not Kalen Balaj, Joshua Kelly is not the dude. Like I basically never thought he was, and finally everyone else can agree with me. Now let's move to the Dolphins, Broncos. All right. So before I get into this, we're gonna take a break right here and we will be right back with this Dolphins Broncos game. 
What's up, divers? Just taking a quick second to say check out Thrive Fantasy, where you can use my promo code DEEPDIVE, and they will match your deposit up to $50. You can bet on over-unders for players' stats, and it's a simple concept to win money. Just do better than half of the opponents, and you win. It's a really cool alternative to fantasy football. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, take a second to pause the podcast right here and drop me a rating or review. That's right, pause it right here. Lastly, if you're feeling super generous, you can choose to support the podcast monthly through the link on the episode page or found in the website podcast section. With that being said, as you know, let's get back to the content. And we're back. All right, that break was actually perfect. It's just what I needed. I just completely downed that coffee that has been sitting there while I've been talking straight for 40 minutes. So uh, this is the part where I go on my Tua rant. Um, you guys have heard me before on the Unhinged podcast talk about my thoughts on Tua and what they should be doing with him. And I'm going to basically continue that discussion here because I really do not agree with what Brian Flores decided to do. If you don't want to hear this, just skip forward a little bit. But I think you should stay for it because uh, I think I got some interesting points here. So, And uh, this was actually started um, a conversation that I started with one of my awesome listeners. Um, I would say his name, but I'm not sure if he is okay with that. So shout out to you. You know, well, you know if you are him listening, you know I'm talking about you. Um, thank you for the back and forth because I was planning on talking about this and then you and me had a private DM conversation about it and it gave me you know, a better perspective on what people that have the differing opinion to mine might be thinking. So it helped me make this discussion that I'm about to go through even better. So I really appreciate that. So let's get into it. Um, Tua Tagovailoa was sat for performance issues. According to Brian Flores, I have completely loved every single decision that the Dolphins organization and Brian Flores has made since he has been hired. That is number one that I want to state before we start this. I have absolutely loved what they've built. They did not draft a running back in this draft class and focused on more important positions. They went quarterback and then they protected him with two offensive line picks after that. They also got an offensive lineman later in the draft that's proving out to be a steal and be really good. And they got a bunch of stud free agents that um, have made their defense very good, as good as it has been for fantasy. Obviously, it's been amazing. It's also been amazing as a regular defense in the NFL, not related to fantasy. So I've really loved everything they've built. And this is the first decision I disagree with. Because, I mean, first off, what do I know? I mean, I'm just a random dude. You know, I'm not making millions to make these decisions. But these are my thoughts anyways. You are not winning this year. If you were the Dolphins, okay, you are not winning this year. Maybe you can get to the playoffs, yes. Maybe you'll sneak out a playoff win, yes. But what does it matter if you do all that and you can't win the Super Bowl? All right, that should be the goal. If you can't, your goal is either Super Bowl, you know, you guys hear the saying, Super Bowl or bust. It's either Super Bowl or it's get your team ready for a Super Bowl. You can't do both at the same time, all right? Your team is either ready for the Super Bowl and you're making that Super Bowl run, or you're getting your team ready for a Super Bowl. And Fitzpatrick is not the guy who's going to win you a Super Bowl. Tua is, not this year, but he might be in the future. He might be, and that's what you need to find out. So there's a whole bunch of things that I do not like about sitting him for performance issues, okay? Sitting him complicates things. First off, if... Ryan Fitzpatrick gets you to the playoffs. Who starts at quarterback next year? I mean, if you sit Tua for his performance, right, and 
Fitz, let's say he wins that Broncos game. Is Fitz starting next game all of a sudden? Okay, let's say, you know, it seems like that's not the case because they did not win that Broncos game and Fitz did throw an interception or two. And now Tua starts in the next game. Let's say he starts off rough and he gets benched again for performance issues. Fitz wins the game for them. So we're, what, you're going to start Fitz the rest of the season, win games? Maybe he gets you to the playoffs. If so, is he your quarterback next year? I mean, oh, he got you to the playoffs. He made you better. Is he your quarterback next year? Do you re-sign him? How do you know if Tua is the future? And look, I'm all for sitting rookie quarterbacks and letting them learn. I understand that. But the Dolphins are in a very peculiar situation. First off, they've already started Tua. They've already pulled that plug. They had him sitting. They had him learning. They And they pulled it. Once you pull it, you can't put the plug back in. You're going to get electrocuted. And your team is going to suffer for it. And that's what's about to happen if they start rolling with fits. Okay? And I just came off came up with that metaphor or analogy or whatever it's called off the top of my head. And I think that was great. But anyways, back to the point that I'm making is that, um, oh my goodness, there we go. If you know Tua is the future, the only way you figure that out is by playing him continuously the rest of this season. Okay. And the Miami Dolphins are in a peculiar situation. That's where I was at because this next draft class has a lot of good quarterbacks and the Miami Dolphins have a lot of ammo, and they can get a quarterback if they if Tua is not the answer. You sit Tua now and play Fitz just to get to the playoffs and not win a Super Bowl, which defeats the purpose, right? And then Tua ends up not being the answer, but you didn't know that until after this season because you wanted to screw around with playing Fitzpatrick, and you could have learned so much about Tua and possibly moved on and got Trevor Lawrence or got, I mean, probably not Trevor Lawrence, but you could have, you know, traded up for one of the other quarterbacks. Who knows what happens? Uh, you know, you could get Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or uh, the other guy. His name is slipping my mind right now. I don't really dive like super deep into college until the NFL, se- NFL season is over. That's when I do all my, uh, you know, uh, play watching and all that stuff. But anyways, film, that's what I, the word I was looking for. But yeah, so Tua, guys, you have to see what Tua has, okay? And has he looked bad? Yes. But think of where he is coming from. He's coming from Alabama, where he had four first-round wide receivers. You want to go through them? All right, let's go through them. Jerry Judy, best route runner to come out in the last five years. Henry Ruggs, fastest wide receiver to come out since John Ross. Next year coming up this year coming up Devonta Smith super fast guy very athletic gets open Jalen Waddle fast guy athletic gets open like Fias and they're both going in the first round you can pretty much guarantee it so he's got four first round receivers everyone's always open he has a super good offensive co- coach in college and he's playing against you know college competition so going to Miami is a completely different situation he doesn't have any receivers like that. The offensive scheme is not the same. And he's coming off an injury where he hasn't played in a while. Like, he just won three games. Like, yes, it was off the back of the defense, but he didn't give the games away. He has one bad game and you're going to sit him? That's ridiculous. Okay, rookies will have bad games. Here's the problem that you run into if you pull them. One, it ruins confidence. Two, it stunts growth. Three, 
It removes opportunities to learn and grow from mistakes. If you're not letting Tua get those reps, if you're not letting him make those mistakes and bounce back from them, how is he going to do so next season when your team is going to be even better, your young team that's developing, and your team that has a lot of draft picks that will probably hit on a good amount of them as you did this season, and your team is going to be way better next year, how is Tua supposed to be ready to lead you if you're not letting him go through the rough patches right now? This is the perfect time for you to do that. And lastly, basically what I've just been saying, it takes away the much-needed experience to possibly be great next year by sitting him now. So you can't do it, guys. You cannot sit him. Plus, going back and forth in the quarterback room is a no-go. Trust me as a Bucks fan who saw it firsthand with the exact same player between Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston. It divides the locker room. It causes animosity between players. And I'm not just talking about the quarterbacks. I'm talking about defenders and receivers and, oh, you know, who I think should be starting. Oh, no, I think this person should be starting. It just causes all this nonsense that you do not need. And it is not good for your team that has been great and the culture that has been great. Do not ruin that. Do not ruin that. In my opinion, Fitz getting to the playoffs and you not knowing if Tua is your franchise quarterback when the next draft has great quarterbacks and you have ammo to get one is not a success unless you win the Super Bowl, which isn't happening. So, boom. That's it. That I mean, it's over. You can't start Fitz. Like, I know so, so many people are like, you got to win now. You got to try to do everything you can to win games. But not when it comes to a franchise quarterback and a franchise-changing decision. Now let's talk about the game. Salvin Ahmed. Ahmed. Wow. Didn't even say my boy's name right. Salvin Ahmed. Looks decent. Devontae Parker is a good option if it starts. Hopefully they're smart enough to not do so. The Broncos receiving game will be extremely frustrating. Save Fant because, I mean, tight end is barren. Tight end is a land, like an empty landscape. So Noah Fant is somebody that you can start. But other than that, I don't like the receiving game here at all for the Broncos. The running backs had a good game script. They ran well, but don't expect that moving forward. I'm not touching Lindsey or Gordon. Chiefs, Raiders. Remember how I said this was a Chiefs must win and that they had to play their best players the entire time. Just like I predicted, Clyde got the bulk of touches. I was talking about this and how Clyde is clearly their best running back. I'm sure they know that. And that in this game that they have to win versus the Raiders, that will probably be close because the Raiders beat them last time and the Raiders have the offense to keep it close. Clyde needs to get the book of touches, probably will. And he did. He doubled Le'Veon in touches. He had a good game. Mahomes, Kelsey Hill continue to be great. What's new? But you know who else is great? Derek freaking Carr, baby. Derek Carr, he's also great. He looked, and this is not an overreaction, he looked like a top five quarterback passing the ball from his accuracy to his anticipation to his decision making and handling pressure he looked unbelievable you have to give him credit his offense is young and is it is developing he is a sneaky buy in a super flex dynasty he honestly is when you know you could get him for a late second before this season started you might be able to get him for a mid second if somebody's not really paying attention to him if somebody has, you know, if you got a fantasy player that plays fantasy and just looks at fantasy points and only sees a couple games here and there and they have not seen Derek Carr play, if you watch Derek Carr play, he looks great. 
And if you look at his fantasy points, they don't necessarily completely reflect that. And they're probably going to get better next year as his offense gets better because he's got Brian Edwards, who I'm sure some of you guys still believe in. I'm not saying I don't believe in him, but I was never like super high on him coming out of college, kind of like Michael Pittman. And then, but I still think he can be good. And then you have Henry Ruggs, who I'm sure will get utilized more next season. And he opens up the offense anyways. Which, by the way, like, everyone that's throwing Ruggs hate, yes, they need to use him more. And yes, he's not helping your fantasy teams. But his impact on the offense is clear. Why do you think Nelson Aguilar is always open? All right? But outside of their receiving game, um, I'm not touching their receiving game for redraft right now. Other than Darren Waller, who is the tight end too, and him and Kelsey set the bar. Josh Jacobs is not getting receiving work still. That was my offseason concern, and why I had him lower than others. I think he was my RB12 uh, and his like ECR, which is expert consensus ranking, so like the average of all the Fantasy Pros experts, which, I mean, that doesn't mean that they work at Fantasy Pros. It's just the people who log their data in that data system. Um, was His ECR was like running back eight or running back nine, so I was lower than him on others, and it was because of the, the concern with the receiving work. And he's been a little better than that, yes, because of all the injuries at the running back position, but it's something that's concerning still. Darren Waller and Kelsey are fantasy football hacks. Both of them were in this game on display full force. Both had more than 20 points. It was awesome. They're probably going to be the most owned players with James Robinson on playoff teams. James Robinson, because he's been an RB1 and was a free agent. And then Kelsey and Waller, because they're so much better than any other tight end. So... Those guys, I expect them to be like some of the highest owned players on fantasy football playoff teams, which is always something interesting to look at. And Nelson Aguilar got a high target count of nine in this game. The next highest wide receiver got two. So he's not consistent, so I'm not interested. No consistency, no interest. But he does play Atlanta next week if you are super, super desperate. Now, with that said, that brings us to the end of the game recaps. And because this is a two for one, and because um, that, you know, I'm combining this and everything. I'm not going to go through like all the minuscule stuff. Also by lows, sell highs, that stuff is closed. I'm not going to go through hits and whiffs. I'm not going to go through, what else do I usually go through? Uh, the survivor pick, we got knocked out. So not too much to look at there. And we're going to go ahead and move into the section of starts and sits for next week. We're just now, you know, getting near that hour mark on the podcast. So, you know, that's, if you want to pause it, if you want to save this part for later, as if it was a second podcast. If you want to, you know, play this Wednesday, Thursday, it's still going to have a lot of relevant information. Trust me. Um, just, you know, remember that, yes, I am recording this Monday night, technically Tuesday morning. I'm recording this at 2 a.m. Yes, sir. I am on that grind. But as always, but, um, you know, just remember that I'm recording this a little early. So if anything crazy happens, obviously adjust accordingly. But a lot of games are being played Thursday. So there's not too much that's going to happen that you know i don't already know because so many games are being played very soon from time of recording so with that said i will get into it starts of the week every single texan versus the lions the lions have been a juicy match for every position in fantasy football i'm starting all my texans including duke johnson just because of the volume i think this might be a bounce back opportunity for him despite him being very inefficient so far tom brady versus Mahomes because he's going to have to keep pace and you have the narrative now that Tom Brady just had a horrible game versus the Rams 
bounce back Brady. I mean, you might as well, that might as well be a slogan that he uh, trademarks along with Tampa Brady and Tampa Brady and all that nonsense. Might as well get a bounce back Brady too in there because that's definitely something that exists and I expect it in full force versus the Kansas City Chiefs. He never has back-to-back bad games and he had a bad game versus the Rams for sure. So expect a great game from Brady. The Miami running back, whether it's Ahmed or Gaskin, start them versus the Jets. And like I said, I'm recording a little earlier, so I'm not 100% sure if Gaskin is going to be pulled off IR. I don't think so, but just in case, uh, I don't want to say, you know, start Ahmed and then you don't pay attention and don't check and Gaskin ends up starting. So whichever running back is starting for Miami, play him versus the Jets. Daniel Jones versus the Bengals, the now Ryan Finley-led Bengals. So how does Brandon, how does a, a worse quarterback starting for an offense help the opposing quarterback in fantasy? Good question, people. So this is why. Because Ryan Finley will not help the offense of the Bengals stay on the field as long as Joe Burrow did. The drives will be shorter. The defense of the Bengals will get tired quicker, will play worse. And the opposing offense, because the Bengals offense can't stay on the field, the opposing offense will have more opportunities on the field. Therefore, Daniel Jones, who has put up some solid games, is going to be on the field a lot versus the Bengals. And he's somebody that can run around a little bit. And the Bengals' defense is not scaring nobody. So, or is not scaring anybody. Because technically, not scaring nobody means it scares everyone, if you think about it. Big brain thinking over here. But, yeah, that defense is not scaring anyone. So, Daniel Jones is a great play versus the Bengals, in my opinion. I also like Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins versus the Giants. Tyler Boyd more. Because James Bradbury is the best Giants corner, and he does not really play in the slot much. But Boyd and Higgins, just because, you know, it seemed like Higgins was a favorite target of Finley, they're probably going to be losing this game in a negative game script. And like I said, I'm not too worried about Boyd. Uh, I'm more worried about Higgins, but I think both will be fine. Giants defense, another play in this game. Giants defense versus the Bengals offense. Obvious reasons, right? Ryan Finley, bad offensive line, yada, yada turnovers galore probably Giants defense has been playing pretty well Derek Carr versus the Falcons that's another really good play I just told you how good he's looked and the Falcons defense is you know one that likes to give points to the the quarterback in fantasy so Derek Carr is going to be a good play this week let's talk about some sits Big Ben versus Baltimore this is going to be a nasty game and hopefully I'm conscious enough to enjoy it um and hopefully I'm not in too much pain after the wisdom teeth surgery or whatever it's called um because i really want to see this game we're gonna get to see you know lamar and big ben go back and forth in this divisional game that means a lot for the ravens which i mean going into it you would not have expected pittsburgh has this division locked down i mean it's over it's over the ravens have no chance to win this division which nobody would have ever thought that in week 12 of the nfl season the ravens would already have lost their chance to win this division. Most people thought they were a shoe-in to win the division. So that's pretty amazing. Um, I still don't think Pittsburgh is nearly as good as their record, and I think Pittsburgh's going to lose this game. But J.K. Dobbins being out, Mark Ingram being out, obviously to a lesser degree, really hurts that offense. And you know their offensive system in terms of the passing game has not been great. So maybe I have to I have to change my mind here. You know, maybe I do. But I don't like Lamar or Big Ben in this game. The over-under is at 45 points. It's a divisional game. 
both teams have amazing defenses. So yeah, I'm not, this is a no-go game for me here for the quarterbacks. Rams running backs versus the 49ers. Sit them all because they all split with each other and it's a tough defense. 49ers running backs on the other side of the ball versus the Rams. Sit them all. Broncos running backs versus the Saints. Gordon and Lindsey. Both are splitting touches. This is a tough matchup versus the Saints. Taysom Hill is good enough to keep the time of possession on the positive side for the Saints compared to the Broncos with a good run game. And, you know, his dynamic, similar to Lamar Jackson type of run threat ability. So... I'm not touching the Broncos running backs versus the Saints, and I'm also not excited about Jerry Judy versus the Saints either. Now, let's talk about something a little different. I used to do my three upsets against the spread. Well, it's a spread like that for a reason. That's super difficult, and I also realized that giving guys three upsets against the spread, while it may be helpful somewhat, I don't think it's as helpful as just giving you guys my favorite betting lines. So I'm going to switch this segment. You know, I'm trying to learn and get better and grow in terms of not just, you know, always being better at analyzing things and projecting things forward, which I have gotten better at every year, but also just being better at giving you guys content that you guys want. And I think you guys will like this much better. So I'm going to go with five of my favorite betting lines. The betting lines are open, and this is what I have them open at. According to my source, these are my five favorite Washington at plus 2.5 versus Dallas. Dallas is favored after that win versus the Vikings. Dallas is favored by 2.5 points versus Washington. I like this game for Washington. I think Washington can win it outright. It's a division game. This line is probably going to swing. Get on it early because, remember, I'm recording this Tuesday morning. So those are the lines right now. Those lines are going to shift quite a bit. So get on it. As soon as you hear this podcast, if you're one of those people that does like bet, betting lines and is able to bet lines depending on where you're at. So Washington plus 2.5, I think they cover that. I think they might win outright. And it's very possible Dallas wins by one point or two points. So I like that that line a lot. Panthers at plus 4.5 versus the Vikings. The Panthers are a really good team. And even if P.J. Walker is starting, obviously that makes it a little bit less in my opinion, I still think Teddy Bridgewater is the better quarterback. Maybe not for DJ Moore's fantasy output, but for the Carolinas' chances at winning a game, I think Teddy Bridgewater is the better quarterback. Panthers um, are, you know, underdogs by four and a half points. I think that they cover that. And this is another one. I think that they might win this game. And honestly, this would have been a good week for the three upsets against the spread because usually I, I'm not like com- 100% confident like when I'm picking the guys I think are going to like the underdogs that I think are going to win. It's the people I think are most likely to win, but it doesn't necessarily mean I think they're going to win. I actually believe the Panthers as an underdog win this game. So that would have been a definitely a slam pick for me for my uh, three upsets against the spread. But I like the Panthers a lot, plus 4.5 versus Minnesota. And then the Titans, plus 3.5 at Indianapolis. So, and by the way, Washington is at Dallas. Panthers are at Minnesota. So this is three away teams here that I'm going with that are underdogs. Titans at plus 3.5. Indy is favored, obviously. And I don't know if the Indy, the Indy Colts can sweep the Titans. I mean, it's always hard to sweep a good team in your division. Winning two games versus a good team in your division is very difficult. And, I mean, the Titans, they always play well versus good teams. And... 
Indy had their calling card in that Thursday game, that Thursday matchup. And yes, Jonathan Taylor's getting going, but it's very possible to me that the Titans win this game. And I think three and a half is a little too much. I think the line should be more at, I know they're trying to give points to Indy because they're the home team, but I think the line should be more like one and a half Indy favored. So I like this line a lot for the Titans. Two more lines, because remember it's five favorite betting lines. Two more lines that I like a lot. Seahawks, minus 5.5 at Philly. They are favored by five and a half points. I like it. I'm thinking Seattle's going to cover, and they're probably going to win by more than a touchdown versus Philly, especially with Carson Wentz and how he's been playing. And if Carson Wentz, if this is the week he gets benched, I mean, Jalen Hurts is not going to come in and be light the world on fire, I don't think, and lead them to a comeback. So I like Seattle. I think it's a safe game to take here. And then, or a safe line to take here. And then the Raiders, minus three versus Atlanta. I think the Raiders are going to beat the Atlanta Falcons by more than three points. If you just watch them play, they are a very good team. So I like them uh, to win by probably more than a touchdown as well versus Atlanta. And they're only favored by a field goal. So those are my five favorite lines. Remember, that's Washington at Dallas, plus 2.5. Washington to cover. Panthers to cover, plus 4.5. At Minnesota, Titans to cover plus 3.5 at Indy, Seahawks to cover minus 5.5 at Philly, and Raiders to cover at minus 3 at Atlanta. That's five away teams. It's going to be interesting. going to be interesting to see. And uh, I'm going to actually keep track of this, guys. I'm going to keep track of this, and I will let you know how they turned out. And uh, the goal is three right. To get three right every single week, that means we're in the money. You know, if you're getting three out of five right, that's a 60% hit rate, and that is in the money. So, you know what that means? It means you're getting paid. So, the goal is to get paid every week. So, the goal is to win three out of five. With that said, guys, that's my starts, sits, five favorite betting lines. I know I didn't have as many starts, sits as usual. Part of it is because I'm recording a little early, so I don't have as much information to go off of. Part of it is because I just didn't see super glaring starts and sits as much as usual um i think there's a lot of you know like mediocre matchups that are kind of like just whatever in terms of like not a great defense or not a super easy defense for players that you might be teetering on whether to start or sit so that's also part of it and yeah so guys good luck this week i really listen or i really appreciate you guys listening Remember to drop that rating review if you can. I've noticed a couple have started coming in. Guys, thank you so much. That I really appreciate that. That helped me so much. And um, hope you guys have a good week. Hope you guys have a good Thanksgiving. By the way, by the way, I, I'm never somebody who's really uh, fond of the historical context behind Thanksgiving and how it came about and how we kind of just destroyed the Native Americans. But the way it is, like the way we're, we're supposed to look at it now you know, like what it has been turned into. I do like, you know, just the idea of being thankful for everything that we have, spending time with family, friends, especially in these times. I mean, if unless you guys are like, you know, staying away from each other with about COVID and, and whatnot, which I mean, that's your prerogative. I understand that everyone has their own take on that, but um, which is completely fine. I mean, you know, you do what you think you need to do for yourself. But if you guys are getting together, I mean, enjoy it because we never know what we have, you know, how much time we have here. Um, there's been a lot of crazy things that have happened for me this year uh, with friends, family passing away, like, unexpectedly. So just, uh, you know, cherish cherish your family, cherish your friends, 
cherish all the time that you can have because you never know when it's going to be over. So, you know, not trying to get depressing. That's not depressing at all. It's supposed to be, you know, motivating, happy because guys, it's Thanksgiving. Let's, we got so much to be thankful for. We're, we're blessed. We're able to watch football. There's a game off of a game. I mean, fantasy, fantasy football is a game based off of a game and it's a huge part of our lives, you know? So, and I'm thankful for you guys. Thankful for, you know, everything. So guys, just remember, uh, there's a lot of uh, good things out there and let's try and keep our eyes on that. If you're ever feeling down, you know, I turn to football sometimes. I turn to church. I turn to my family, friends. And yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Wish you guys luck this week. Hopefully uh, your NFL team wins, unless, of course, you know the drill. You're a Chiefs fan because you guys are playing my bucks and I need that bounce back win, baby, from Tom Brady. With that said, guys, I'm your host, Brandon Kabour. Peace. Thank <laughs> you.